Good morning. Well, since the beginning of the year, we have based our Sunday morning talks on the hard sayings of uh, Jesus. And uh, our series is entitled Tough Talk. And I think there's enough material in the gospel, Gospels in order to keep us going for a very long time. And uh, Jesus' words are massively, massively uh, challenging to us. On times they just leave us scratching our heads, wondering what on earth he meant. And on other occasions, some of us perhaps wish that we were, didn't know what he meant. And he was actually less clear. But over the, next, uh, over the last few weeks, we've uh, looked at various passages which I think have uh, challenged our socks off. In week one, we, uh, we spoke, or Dan spoke, about that uh, on that passage where Jesus spoke about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. A metaphor, yes, obviously, but still a very, very demanding lesson. Week two, that Jesus did not come to bring peace but a sword and uh, that he would cause some family members betraying other family members to the Roman authorities. Week three, we focused on the cost of following him, that Jesus and his kingdom must take priority in our lives over everything else, even our own families, and that once we've decided to follow Jesus, there's no turning back. Week four, we studied a passage where Jesus showed us that for a Christian, revenge is simply out of the question, that there should never be a, a, re a revenge motive in our lives, that it's a matter of turning the other cheek and going the second mile. Week five, Dan spoke to us about forgiveness. Uh, Jesus taught that uh, if we cannot forgive another person, then God would not forgive us. And then last week, week six, uh, Jesus' words about anger and the need to be reconciled to one another. It's called tough talk for a reason. It's been pretty tough talk, this, isn't it? And I think that probably just six weeks into this uh, series, we're all of one mind that Christianity is not for wimps. Uh, after today, we've got two weeks left in this series. We could continue longer than that, but I think that we all need a little bit of time to recover from our bruises. Well, today's uh, subject is money. Ouch. Ouch. In fact, Jesus spoke more about money than he spoke about prayer, more than he spoke about heaven or hell. Money is a real big deal to Jesus. On one occasion, he said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And there are various estimates uh, about how many verses there are in the entire Bible on this subject of money or wealth. Some one person counted 2,000. Somebody else counted it to around about 5,000 verses, um, obviously counting in a different way. And you obviously want to know who is right, don't you? Well, you're not going to know it from me because life is too short. The statistics are not that important. The more important question, I would say, is why does Jesus speak so much about money and about wealth? And the answer to that, I believe, is that money, wealth, is the number one rival to God for the human heart. You know, God says to us to look to him, that he will come and fulfill our greatest desires, that in him our security is found. In God we find significance for our lives. In him 
Our identity is found as his children. In him we find freedom from everything that enslaves us. In him we find satisfaction and fulfilment. And yet money shouts for its attention. It says, look to me. I will make you secure. We have a saying, don't we, of uh, having a secure future, meaning being financially well off. Money says, do you want significance? Then focus on me. And I will make you feel as though you are someone. I'll make you feel important. You want identity? Then look to me. And I will allow you to purchase it. If you come to me, uh, I will be able to choose you, enable you to choose the right home, in the right neighbourhood, to drive the right car and have the right clothes to wear. If you want freedom, then earn enough to attain what the world calls financial freedom. If it's pleasure you want, then it's me, not God, because there is nothing that money can't buy. Is it satisfaction or fulfilment you want? Then buy the next thing that your heart desires. You see, this is very subtle. Money promises those things that ultimately only God can give. Security, significance, freedom, fulfillment, satisfaction, identity, pleasure. But money's promises are hollow. They're shallow. They're short-lived. Money is the number one rival to God for the human heart. It was uh, American evangelist uh, Billy Graham who said, uh, if a person gets his attitude to money straight, then it helps to straighten out every other issue in his life. If he's right, and I believe that he is actually, then this talk this morning could be rather important for all of us here today. Materialism and consumerism is woven into the fabric of Western society. And I think that the cracks are showing. I don't know if you knew this, but the biggest area of tension in marital breakdown is money. And spending faster than we earn is a major problem, both at the international level, national level, but also in the personal level. That people feel crushed beneath personal debt. Very often they can't see a way out. Organisations like CAP, Christians Against Poverty, um, are called to pick up the pieces and to help families back into some kind of uh, financial equilibrium. And all of this is being fuelled by the advertising industry that is presently spending around about £18 billion a year in the UK to tell us why we should buy products. You know what the title of the best-selling book in the world is, don't you? Yes, the Bible. In fact, 100 million Bibles are sold every single year. But if you include other books, and by other books I don't mean you know, other religious books, but other books generally, catalogues, then the IKEA catalogue wins hands down. Compared to the 100 million Bibles which are sold, the IKEA catalogue is get, is, is, is produced uh, each year 197 million copies. In 20 languages, it now has 61 editions, almost twice the number of Bibles. And that's just one company. The other thing that we need to take into account 
is that mail order catalogues are actually losing ground, as we all know, to internet sales. We are the wealthiest people that have ever lived on planet Earth. And when the University of Michigan uh, conducted a survey asking what one factor could improve the quality of your life, the most popular answer was, guess? Money. Yes, money. Do you know this man? And I know what your Blues fans are thinking, that he's the Aston Villa centre forward <laughs> who they've just signed. Right? No, no, it's not him. Any ideas? Go and shout out if you know. You don't know, Anne? Okay, anyone else? Okay. Leo Tolstoy. Um, a Russian... Who? <laughs> a Russian novelist, uh, the guy who wrote uh, War and Peace. Well, he wrote many other uh, books as well, and he wrote a story, a short story, and it, this story was about a successful peasant farmer who was not satisfied with his lot, he wanted more of everything, and one day he received a rather novel offer for 1,000 rubles. He could buy all the land that he could walk around in a day. The only catch to this deal was that he had to be at the start, back to the starting point by sundown. So early the next morning he started walking at a fast pace. At midday he was getting very tired. He kept on going, covering more and more ground. Well into the afternoon he realised that his, that his greed had taken him far from his starting point. And uh, so he quickened his pace. And as the sun began to sink low in the sky, he began to run. Knowing that if he didn't get back by sundown, the opportunity to, be to become an even bigger landowner would be lost. As the sun began to sink below the horizon, he, he came within sight of the finish line. Gasping for breath, his heart pounding, he called out upon every bit of strength left in his body. He staggered across the line just before the sun disappeared. He immediately collapsed, blood streaming from his mouth. In a few minutes, he was dead. Afterwards, his servants dug a grave. It was not much over six feet long by three feet wide. The title of Tolstoy's story was how much land does a man need? Very challenging. We're going to have a look this morning at some verses, well-known verses in Matthew chapter 6. And uh, these verses challenge us on three areas. There are three challenges, three questions for us in the next 20 minutes to ask ourselves today. The first question is this. Where is our security? Let's read together. Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus here identifies there are two places that we can store our treasures on earth, in heaven. And the treasure that Jesus speaks about here is not just uh, money, but essentially anything of value to us which is perishable, which can be lost in one way or another. So it includes money, 
possessions, clothes, homes, power, prestige, status, fame, popularity, sporting achievements, good looks. And the means by which the treasure is lost isn't important. It could be by accident, wrong decisions, aging, theft, putting your hard-earned cash in an Icelandic bank account, any of the above. There are many ways that we can lose what we treasure. Jesus, almost as a commentary on this, these verses, told a story. It's found in Luke chapter 12. It's a story of a farmer who produced a bigger harvest than was expected. He asked himself a question. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He answered his own question. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. He then said to himself, Then I will relax. I will eat, drink and be merry for many years to come. I'll enjoy my retirement. But God said to him, You fool. Tonight you die. And your barn full of goods. Who gets that? And then Jesus finishes off this parable, this short story, with these words. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Jesus uses this uh, phrase, rich towards God, which means, I believe, much the same as what we have in our passage that we're reading this morning. Uh, it means much the same as treasures in heaven. But what does that phrase mean? It means essentially, I believe, that we count God as our riches. That we count God as our riches. That he is our great reward. That he is our greatest treasure. That he is the centre of our lives. That he is our focal point, our priority. That he is our light and our hope and our song. He is the fire in our hearts and the wind in our sails. He is the reason that we live, as the song says. He is our vision, our path and our guide. You see, when Jesus speaks of not storing up treasures on earth, he is not suggesting for a moment, I believe, that having money uh, or to enjoy uh, possessions is a wrong thing. Jesus wasn't condemning wealth here. He wasn't saying that it was wrong to make money or it was wrong to save or wrong to enjoy the good things of life. He's not saying that. But I think that what Jesus is saying here is much deeper, much more profound than that. Jesus was asking his disciples and asking all of us to examine our own hearts. What is it? Or better, who is it that motivates us? What is our attitude to life? Is it to serve the purposes of his kingdom or is it to serve ourselves? What is it that we think about most of our time? And what do we spend our money? What is it that really, truly captures our imagination? Where is it that we place our trust and our security? Do we hold the things of this life tightly or loosely in our hands? And I suppose the answers that we give to those questions help us see where we are storing our treasures. To store up for yourselves treasures on, in heaven means that we spend our time, I believe, and our energy and our money and those things which outlast our lives. How do we do that? It will mean that we invest our lives in the proclaiming of the good news of Christ. 
It means that we will use our lives in caring for the weak and the lonely and the outcast. It means that we will spend our lives in ministering to the poor and befriending the isolated. It means that we will spend our lives to develop and disciple others to walk the same journey. Paul writes to Timothy in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, God is not against the, the good things of life. He's not some celestial killjoy. But these things must never, ever truly win our hearts. That's what Paul is saying there. And Paul writes to Timothy also in that same chapter, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And Jesus said that we are to store up, if we are to store up our treasures on earth, it's foolish because whatever we store can be lost it's perishable, it can rust, spoil, fade, be destroyed, it can be stolen. But heavenly treasures are rust-proof, moth-proof, burglar-proof. They can endure forever. The Bible speaks of a life that, which will never end, John 3.16. A gift that will never be lost, John 6, verse 37 and 39. A, li- a, lo- a love from which we will never be separated, Romans 8, verse 39. A calling that will never be revoked, Romans 11, verse 29. A foundation that will never be destroyed, 2 Timothy 2, 19. An inheritance that will never spoil or fade, 1 Peter 1, verses 4 and 5. I remember that great story from uh, evangelist uh, J. John. Uh, He tells the the time that his his father died in Cyprus and it was a typical Mediterranean all-day funeral service and wake. And one of his father's friends asked uh, J. John, did your father leave much? To which he answered, yes, everything. (laughs) Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. The inference there, the emphasis is on Jesus forbidding a materialistic outlook on life, which I believe can apply as much to the person who hasn't got two brass pennies to rub together as it can apply to the millionaire. You know, this isn't about how much money you have in your pocket or in your bank. This is about an attitude of heart. This is about a materialistic outlook on life. You see, many people are concerned about where to place their investments at times of economic uncertainty. Do we keep the investments in a bank or in property or under the mattress? And Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. John Stott, Anglican clergyman of another generation, said, no burglar can steal this, no vermin can destroy it, for there are neither moths nor mice nor marauders in heaven. So treasure in heaven is secure. Precautionary measures to protect it are unnecessary. It needs no insurance cover. It is indestructible. Therefore, Jesus seems to be saying to us, if it is safe investment you're after, 
then nothing could be safer than this. It's the only gilt-edged security whose guilt will never tarnish. You see, when we recognise where our true home and permanent residence is, I think that we'll stop worrying about needing to have it all here on planet Earth. Forgive me, I know I've given this illustration before, but it's a little bit like, um, I suppose, going on your summer holidays. And on your summer holidays, you're buying a satellite system and new furniture for your holiday cottage that you're renting for two weeks in Skegness. Ludicrous, isn't it? You know, the very thought of it. You know, it's not your holiday cottage that you're renting in Skegness where it requires your effort and your finances and your priorities, but rather your permanent home. And in this life, in comparison, I suppose, with what God has got for us, it's just like a short summer break. We will enter one day our true home at the resurrection, at the new creation, where we will be with him for all of eternity. Earlier on, I said there were three questions I had for you this morning from this passage. The first one is, where is our security? The second question is, what kind of person are you becoming? What kind of person are you becoming? Let's move on in our passage. Matthew 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I don't know about you, but when I read this um, previously, I thought, what on earth is happening here? Because Jesus has been just about speaking about storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth, and then he starts talking about eyes. <coughs> Actually, I didn't quite get it. But I think what's happening is this, and what Jesus is saying is this, that if we have good eyes, then we will walk in the light. We will need to, we will have an, enough light in our eyes, as it were, to, to do everything that we need to do, to run and to jump and to drive a car, and to cook or embroider and paint. But if your eyes are good, said Jesus, your whole body will be full of light. And what Jesus, I think, is doing here, he is using this, this, this physical description to illustrate a spiritual truth, as so often he does. And it's this, if we have physical vis vision, we can see what we're doing and where we are going. And similarly, if our spiritual vision is correctly adjusted, our life is going to be filled with light and purpose and drive. However, and this seems to be the point that Jesus appears to be making here, it's, if it's possible for our, visual, uh, for our spiritual vision to become clouded, then uh, by having a materialistic outlook on life, then that's going to blur everything for us. It's going to blur our spiritual vision. And as Christian people, it's going to cause us in our, in our Christian walk, in our Christian journey to become barren and to become unfruitful. And when you think of it, that is exactly what Jesus said in one of his parables. Do you remember? Matthew 13, 22. Jesus said, the one who received 
the seed, sorry, who received the seed that fell among uh, the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, make it making it unfruitful. So again, the deceitfulness of wealth can choke our spiritual lives, says Jesus. So it's really coming back to where we started this morning by saying that money or wealth, having the wrong focus, is the number one rival to God for the human heart. I want to offer you a challenge this morning. And in a sense, it's, it's a question that I'm going to give you, but it's a question that's probably geared more to those who are younger in the congregation than those perhaps who are middle-aged as well. And that is the, the question of what kind of person are you becoming? What kind of person are you becoming? You see, unless the Lord comes back or you die, then one day you are going to become an elderly person. What a lovely thought. <laughs> I'm almost there. <laughs> almost. But you see, the point that I'm wanting to make here is that the person that we become in old age will largely depend on the decisions that we're making in life now. You sit down and talk to an elderly person. Whatever they have focused their life on will come out. If they have focused their life on their possessions and their house, then that is what they will talk about in conversation with you. If they have focused their entire lives on their, their job and their career, then that's what they are going to be speaking about. If it's on stuff, the things of life, foreign holidays, leisure activities, or even the football team that they supported, guess what they will come out with? Some people might incessantly talk about themselves, their aches and pains, the people that have hurt them and wronged them. But for those who have lived lives that have been focused on God's kingdom and about his purposes, and you catch them in their older years. And they are the ones who will be talking about the Lord, about what he's doing, about salvation, about the power of prayer, about the joy of seeing people coming to faith. And such people are such a great encouragement, and a joy to be around. And I tell you what, we have many good examples of such people in our church family. You see, everything that we sow now into our lives, we will one day reap. The focus of our heart will determine the kind of person that we will become. And the third question this morning is, whom do you serve? Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus uh, explains that behind our choice of where we lay our treasures and where we fix our eyes is a more basic choice. And that's a choice between two masters. Whom do we serve? In the older versions of the Bible, uh, instead of the word money, we, we've got the word mammon. Uh, a mammon uh, was, was used instead of money. And Jesus spoke Aramaic. And mammon was an Aramaic word. 
Mammon was the, the pagan god of wealth in Carthage in North Africa. And Jesus uses this term mammon as a, as a personification of wealth, that money is just like a rival deity to God. It represents everything that deflects us from loving God with all of our hearts. In his book, uh, Challenging Lifestyle, Nicky Gumbel writes these words. I've not put them on screen, but I, I, I just want you to catch the heart of what he's saying, because it's a great quote. He says, Mammon was the god of wealth in Carthage, the capital of Roman Africa. Mammon has all the characteristics of a pagan god. It seems to offer security, freedom, power, influence, status, prestige. It is capable of inspiring devotion and it requires a single-minded preoccupation. It demands sacrifice, just like any pagan god would, and ultimately human sacrifice. Nikki, where are you going here? I'm not sure about this. What, what are you talking about? Okay, this is what he says. Many sacrifice their health for money through stress, long hours, and no exercise or relaxation. Worse still, some sacrifice the lives of others as human relationships are destroyed. No time is reserved for spouse, children, friends, or God. Drive, push, hustle, scheme, invest, prepare, anticipate, work. 14-hour days followed by weekends at the office. Forfeited holidays and midnight oil. The result is often broken marriages and single-parent families. The latter created not only through divorce, but because one of the parents is always out at work. I found those words incredibly challenging and very insightful. You see, Jesus did not say that you should not serve God and money. He says you cannot. There's a difference. You cannot. And yet many people try to do what Jesus says is impossible. Because one of these masters will always have the upper hand in our lives. When we make a decision, whatever that decision is, it will be guided by one of those values. And very often it boils down to two things. Number one, we decide to do something because we seek to honour God and to make him our priority. Or, we make our decision on how it will materially benefit us. It's one or the other. So how do we know, how do I know this morning whether I am truly a lover of money or of God? Because, you know, our first reaction is, oh, of course, no, we serve God. But let's ask ourselves some questions to explore this for ourselves. I'm going to ask you three questions, three crucial questions. And the first one is, what do I cut back when things get financially tight? Do I cut back on investing my money and wealth in God's kingdom or do I cut back on consuming? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher from Westminster Chapel, on one occasion told a story, a story of a farmer who had two calves. He told his wife that he was going to dedicate one of the calves to the Lord when it got older. He planned on selling it and giving the money to the Lord's work. One day that farmer came in from the fields and said to his wife, Bad news, dear. The Lord's calf has just died. 
You see, it's often the Lord's calf that has died when things get financially tight. Second question. How does your heart feel when there is an opportunity to give? Maybe there's an offering taken for missions or the persecuted church or for some local work. Does your heart almost resent that opportunity to give? Or do you feel perhaps that you ought to give because it's the right thing to do, but you do it almost with a sigh? Maybe when you look at your bank statement and see that monthly debit entry for X number of pounds to Tamworth Elim Church, do you joyfully praise God for the opportunity to invest in his kingdom? Do you praise God that he has given you wealth in order to be generous with? As someone once said, there are three sorts of giving. Duty giving, which says I give because I ought to. Grudge giving, which says I give because I... Uh, uh, sorry, duty, duty giving, I give because I ought to. Grudge giving because I have to. And thanksgiving because I want to. And to give out of a heart which is filled with grace, I would say, is a good sign. Good sign that you serve God. Maybe another question would have been this morning, uh, what did you feel like this morning when I announced that the subject for this morning was money? That was another question. Okay, there's a third question here. What are you counting on to secure a fulfilling life? Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And I think that this morning we, we would all recognise that money is neither bad nor evil, it's neutral. There's nothing wrong with money, having money, or even enjoying the good things of life. But it will never, ever truly bring satisfaction. And there's only one antidote to materialism. Do you know what that is? It's generosity. Okay? It's generosity. And every time that you are generous, you have a spiritual victory in your heart. And every time you are generous, it breaks a little bit more of that grip of materialism in your life. I'm going to finish uh, now. Um, and I'm going to conclude with a, a short video. Now, if any of you have been on the Alpha course, and I know that a lot of you have, um, in one of the talks, there was a gentleman by the name of Scott Harrison. And he tells the story of how God has changed his life from being a man who once at one time stored up for himself treasures on earth, but then God revealed to him himself and he had an encounter with God and his whole life changed from storing up treasures for himself on earth to storing them up for, uh, in, in heaven, touching and benefiting the lives of five and a half million people. I hope you'll find this, this inspiring. Thank you.